0: Well, good morning, all seasons. It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord. Uh, Really excited as far as the series that we're on. And certain ones really just uh, take my mind and it, it allows me to stretch no matter how many times I preach it or how many times I go over it. It is a continual, okay, there's more there. And so this series allows us to do that. Last week, we began in this uh, journey to possession. What is it to possess the life that we want to possess? What is it to possess that that future that we want to have? How do we hold on to it? Uh, A man once said years ago, you can only possess what you can hold under pressure. You can only possess what you hold under pressure. So when troubles come, trials come, and you can't hold on to it, and you have to let it go, or you have to quit it, or you have to then it was never really yours. You weren't prepared for it. So God in this series, this is what he's doing. He's teaching us how to prepare ourselves to be ready for possession of the things that he wants to give us. He's getting us prepared so that we're ready to hold on to it and able to say that it's ours. It belongs to us. And so we studied last week as we had Passover and went through the four different times you drink the cup, and we went through all of those things, and hopefully next Easter we can we can set a table up and actually do a Passover. That would be a fun study as far as showing you how it translates into Christ and how it relates to Christ. And so there was a reason why God did that, and as we learned last week, the whole purpose of everything that we started of God saying, I'm fixing to establish a Passover. I'm fixing to deliver you from Egypt. I am fixing to set you free. And we're using the children of Israel moving into Canaan as our, as our kind of example. <coughs> he says, I'm going to, by strong hand, I am going to take care of the problem, not you, me. And so like salvation, it works the same way. You are not saved by works, lest any man should boast. But it is by the grace of God that God has given you salvation. You did not choose him, he chose you. You did not have the ability to come out of what you were in. I did not have the ability to be saved. And we used that phrase last week to kind of sum it all up. And I know it sounds strange when we ask that question, but after we got through the service, it seemed just right, didn't it? that we would ask ourselves, am I really saved? Not, not do I believe in Jesus, not do I celebrate Christmas, but am I saved? Has God taken me from what used to be bondage in my life? And am I, have I been set free? Because the whole purpose of salvation is not just simply to quote, forgive you of your sins, to check the box. The purpose of salvation is to be saved, to be redeemed. To be set free, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. All of the scriptures does not relate to just some mental concept that I've accepted Jesus, I believe he died on the cross, I believe he rose, and I've got this mental concept and I'm trying to live for God and do the best I can. No, it is a spiritual concept in which I have accepted him as king and lord. And we studied that as understanding a kingdom and how in a kingdom the king owns everything. He rules over all of his territory. And so Jesus says, all power has been given to me. There's not one thing, not one kingdom, not one ruler, not one government that Jesus does not reign over, that Jesus does not have power over. Now, understanding that is very important because it carries us to what I'm fixing to teach you. And I'm going to go as far as I can today. The second part is probably going to be split into part A, part B. Because of all the subjects that I ever teach on in in ministry, this one is the hardest as far as in just one sermon to be able to give it to you and for you to get all of the understanding in the Scriptures. So I need to take my time as far as breaking it open. And what we will find out in the next part, why was it so important that Israel accept him as king? Why was it so important that Israel accept him as all powerful? Why is it so important that we surrender? And when we surrender, we surrender all because what God is going to do to you next, look at the person beside you and tell them what he's fixing to do to you next is going to hurt. See, I I thought about this thing and and I'm really, I really think I'm going to start a new school. And, and and at the all-season school, what we're going to do is, we're going to have six to eight hours of recess, and only 30 minutes of math, and about 20 minutes of English, and about... Now, wouldn't that be a whole lot more fun? Wouldn't that be just so much... I mean, that would be a school everybody would have... Hey, I only go to... I only have to do science for 15 minutes. Then I get to go back and play. Then I get... See, we would all sign up for that school, but your kids, when I, when I walk through the halls here the last week or so, and I, and I look at them, I'm like, you in school again? Yeah. I'm like, man, you ought to be excited. You ought to be, yeah. I said, is it hard? Yeah. Now see, they don't have no desire to do that. So why do you make them do it? Why do you put them through that torture, punishment? Because you want them to be able to add one day. You want them to be able to understand some amount of science, some amount of learning. You want them to grow. They'll still tell you, as I did growing in school, I was a straight-A student in recess. I got that S satisfactory. I got that S every single time. Never unsatisfactory at recess. I was the bomb at recess. It was the other subjects that I had a problem with. Well, it's the same way when we're talking about growing as a Christian. When you're growing as a Christian, understand this, there's not as much recess as you would like. There are a lot of classes. There's a lot of learning. And God has built the school that way. So let me show you this morning as you turn with me to Exodus 14. Verses 1 through 4, we'll use this as the backdrop. We will cover stories from chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. So this is not a one time occurrence. In fact, this will be a consistent fight or battle. Because what I want to talk to you today about is the understanding of obedience. The understanding of obedience. Yes, I've been saved. And in our modern culture, this is what's wrong with us as a church. This is what's wrong with us as a church body, the body of Christ, is that we have promoted grace, we have promoted forgiveness, we don't get any shortage of how much God loves us. But we get a very small dose of obedience. And it's only in in times when things don't go right. I'm watching a lot of these ministers now on television. I was watching one last night that preaches a lot of grace and a lot of love. And, man, he's fixing to do a whole series on obedience. And I thought, that's going to seem weird. That's going to be kind of hard when you got people sitting there saying, doesn't matter what I do. I can go to heaven. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm good. God loves me. And now you're going to turn around and tell them, now, look, if you don't obey him, you can't be a part of him. Oh, Oh, whoa, you're changing the subject on me. But the fact is, that is part of the Bible, just like the love and the grace. In fact, obedience to God is more important than anything. We will cross that scripture, and we'll talk about certain areas. But go with me in the Bible. Let's read this. As we jump into this, our journey to possession, part two, is obedience. First is salvation, now obedience. Here's what it says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and count before, uh, Fahania, Fahira, between, uh, Migdal and the sea, opposite of Baal Zephor, Zephon, and you shall count before it by the... Now that's a lot. Why is he putting all that in there? Why is all that? Because he wants you to know geographically exactly where he's taking them. I mean, he gives them a specific place to go. Why? Here's why. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. In other words, they walked out and didn't know where they were going and how ignorant they were to just walk right into the biggest trap they could walk into. They were so dumb. They didn't know what they, the the land just messed them up. I mean, anybody with any understanding would never go where they're going. Why? Because for Pharaoh will say of the children that they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. There's mountains on both sides. For Pharaoh, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. I like that. And they did so. Moses knows where he's going. Moses is trained in military strategy and and yet he's sitting there and he understands this is where you want us to go. Yes. I'm I'm setting Pharaoh up for this. And in our lives, you have to understand, it works the same way. When you're going through something, we think of it as what we're having to go through, what we're having to face. Did you ever think... That maybe God is just setting Satan up? That cancer that you got, aha, I got him. I'm just setting you up. That, that problem, that loss of job, that situation, that kid that's causing you to have to pray more and 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 the, it, all the issues, all the struggles that you got and all the things that you're having to battle. Would you ever think that God says, I am the one who actually has directed or guided you into this main area, this valley with a mountain on both sides and a sea in front of you and to the world, they look at you and they say, you can't do that. You can't overcome alcoholism. You can't break addiction. You can't survive this. I, you can't overcome the death of that person. You can't and then God says, hold on. I'm just setting it up because I'm fixing to show something so that the, when the enemy walks away from you, the only thing the enemy is going to say is, is that their God is an awesome God and their God can do what nobody else can do. <laughs> Did you ever think that the problems that in your marriage, the situations are all set so that God can one day break free and get glory for it. So this is what happens in our lives. This is just one story. Now, I want to give you a few points as we walk along. Number one, if we fear the consequences of man and not the wrath of God, we are merely cowards walking endlessly In a desert. Listen to me very carefully. You need to hear this. If you fear the consequences of man and not the wrath of God, then you're going to become merely a coward, walking endlessly in a desert. That will be your life. That sounds like, oh, that's so hard. Because we want to be able to, to say, oh, no, no, God does what God wants to do. Let me give you an understanding. God's large plan is going to be accomplished. It, Revelations is going to happen with you or without you. The world's going to come to an end with you or without you. It is God's purpose that all should come to the saving grace of God. He says that. So when somebody says, well, he predestines this. No, no, no. What he's predestined are the things that he has spoken. The things he has spoken is what he's predestined. So when I speak it, it will come to pass. It is predestined, and I knew the end of it. I spoke the end of it before I ever got to the beginning of it. That's God. God. But you are the only thing in the middle of all of that that has free will to decide whether you want to be a part of that or not a part of that. It was God's will that the children of Israel, Moses and Aaron and everybody, would go into Canaan and they would live happily ever after. That was God's plan. The problem is, is that God says, my plan is going to be fulfilled whether I do it through you or I do it through your kids or I do it through your grandkids, whether I do it now or 300 years from now because a day to me is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. If I got to reset the whole thing and start it over, it's okay with me. That is how sovereign God is. You're not going to mess up his plans. Whatever we vote in Congress is not going to mess up God's plans. Whatever the Supreme Court decides won't mess up God's plans. You got to understand there is a king already sitting on a throne. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he is reigning and ruling. So, you have to decide whether you want to be part of that or not. The Israel has an enormous problem all through their time. Go in your Bibles to Isaiah 1, 19 and 20. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20. Here's what it says. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has done what? Do you understand? You're not going to mess up God's plan, but you can sure mess up your future. You can mess up your part. God's going to get glory from your story, whether you're a total uh, loser or whether you're a winner. He's going to use you as an example. We talk about people who messed up just as much as we talk about people who didn't mess up. You're going to be an example one way or the other. It's just whether or not you're going to let God create a winner out of you. And that's what he tells them in Isaiah. Here's what he also says. Go to 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Let me read it there and I'll show you in the New Testament what he says. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in... If we say we know the Lord, we love the Lord. If we say we believe in the Lord, but we walk in darkness, we do what? Look at that person say beside you and ask them, do you lie a lot? Well, brother Lot, that ain't part of my, I don't care if it's part of your theology or not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You can tear that page out, mark it out with a highlighter. I don't care. I spent 30 years preaching and, and I've survived all these years. You know why? Because I don't get anywhere away from that book. So your, your anger, your madness, people who don't like me and meet me in Walmart that says, oh, Pastor Lot, they're not mad at me because I've never called them anything. I've never stole anything from them, never did, I'm just telling them what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It means God has told you something and you have said, I'm not going to do it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Not only do we have fellowship with God, but it creates a fellowship with each other. It makes church more fun. It makes life more exciting. It's no fun if you walk in here hiding a bunch of stuff, dealing with a bunch of stuff, doing a bunch of stuff, and you sit down and people like, hey, you need to come hang out with us. Yeah. Hey, you need to come over and, and spend... Yeah, I'll think about that. No, it, it's only when you decide to walk in light that all of a sudden fellowship comes in your life. So he says, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all. I don't want you to walk around guilty or feeling bad. God doesn't want that. But at the same time, you can't walk around disobediently trying to hide it and think, God understands me. No, He doesn't. God has a remedy. Get in the light, walk in the light. So if we say, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if somebody comes along and says, well, I don't sin or anything, they're lying to you. Now, I don't sin every day. Hopefully, I don't sin very often. But on those moments when I make mistakes, those moments I said it wrong, I got angry when I shouldn't have got angry, I, I Lord, forgive me. That's not the person I want to be. The beauty of the Bible is, is that if any sin ask confess your sins repent and you shall be forgiven god says good get up let's go that's life that's the beautiful life of it's not saying god's got to take me whether whether i change god's got to take me the way i am that's not the system that's the system in america we've tried to create that this is what religion and the world looks at it says the only difference between you and me is you go to church you're no more free than I am. You're no more different than I am. You live the same life. You speak the same language. You cuss as much as I cuss. You drink as much as I drink. You, you do the things I, I would do. You think the way I think. You laugh at the same jokes I laugh at. The only difference is you go to church. You're still in the same bondage that I'm in. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from That is the life of freedom, to grow. This is the life that God is trying to teach Israel. He's trying to teach every single one of us. Let me show you a few of the stories in Exodus. In chapter 14, we have the story of the Red Sea. We know that Moses and him get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh is barreling down. He's got his chariots. They're coming after them. God speaks to Moses and says, why are you standing here? Stretch out your rod. He does. Israel walks across this Red Sea that's been parted on dry land. They get to the other side, Moses stretches back out his rod, and it closes in on Pharaoh's army. We see a great, great victory. Now, I want to to take a moment here because the next part of this in chapter 15 begins with a song. Now, let me be very careful, because I'm going to say this just right, if I can. I have absolutely nothing against praise, worship, songs. I enjoyed the, boy, the praise team was, was cranking, and, and, man, that was powerful this morning. But let me be very, very clear to you. Praise music won't last. You can't listen to enough of Maverick City to keep you straight. It's wonderful, hope you play some in your car, hope you have your radio in the house going, I hope you keep Christian music, I, I hope you have all of that and I hope you at times the Spirit of the Lord moves because the Spirit of the Lord comes on wings of praise and I hope you praise and I hope it overshadows you at times, I hope you have Moses and Miriam would say, we know what that feels like. Man, we had a moment, I'm telling you, Moses wrote a song, Miriam wrote a song. They, they saw the Red Sea close in, they began to sing a song and I'm telling you, they were having a great time and and chapter 15 starts off with praise music and worship and everything else. The only problem is it doesn't end there because the very next verse says, and they went to the land of Mara, And nobody was singing anymore. And nobody was shouting anymore. And nobody was clapping anymore. They ran into bitter waters. And instead of obedience... Because they are hooked on emotion, like our generation. Did I feel like going to church today? Do I feel like teaching a son? One, one word we have created in the church that just drives me crazy. It's called the word temporary. Or well, they're the temporary teacher. You're a temporary pastor. You're a temporary We've created this Word, and we've surrounded it with all this music and surrounded it with all this stuff. But Listen to me very carefully. God will never grow you through it. Some of the most messed up people you'll meet in the Christian world are in music. Some of the most messed up can stand on a stage and lead you in worship and praise and have you on your feet. And all they're thinking about is where's the nearest casino? You say, Brother lot. oh no, I've been there. Been there, done that. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that it is your obedience that God wants to train. It is your consistency of every morning on Sunday saying it's church time. Yeah, but so-and-so wants to go. Well, tell so-and-so we'll meet them at 12 o'clock. I missed 15 years of family reunion. 15 years. Because every Sunday I had to be here. And when I got through, I would try to run and try to go see them and try to eat with them when food was usually almost all gone. They'd say, Tim, we saved y'all a little bit. I'd see what was left of the remnant of my family who hadn't left already, and that was my once-a-year meeting. Not trying to be ugly, not trying to be mean, but it is obedience. You say, well, man, I hate you had that. It's okay, because next week, the Lot Family Reunion will be here. Let me tell you something, you can't outdo obedience. God says, "Ah, you will eat the good of the land if you can be obedient. But if you keep compromising and keep giving it away and keep saying, well, we don't want to hurt somebody, well, we don't want to make somebody... No. You're going to hurt them in the worst of ways. So after the praise was over and after the song music was over, they ran into bitter waters. And they complained and God said, okay, obedience, cut down this tree, Put it. quit complaining, just be obedient, just ask me and be obedient. In verse, In chapter 16, we go a little bit further, we get to the wilderness of sin, he leads them again a little bit further, they get to the wilderness of sin here in this desert area and what do they say? Oh, that we were just died where we were at, we don't have any food. We need food. We don't have any food. We're starving to death. And they're not starving. They hadn't been gone but a few weeks, a month. And they're already dying, ready to go back. God tells them, he says, I'm fixing to give you a thing, a new kind of bread. It will fall from the sky. And it will be with you. You will have always have food. Just to let you know that, that I'm God, I'm also going to send quail in. I don't know where quail came from at that time. I have no idea how in the middle of the desert he found all them quail, but there was enough quail that for 1.5 to 2.5 million people, they fell on the ground and they ate all the quail they want. Nobody had to shoot one. Nobody had to trap one. They just fell from the sky. That's pretty good. What's he trying to teach? Obedience. I will take care of you. Jesus will preach this in the New Testament. Your father already knows what you have need of. He clothes the flowers. He feeds the birds. Don't you think he'll take care of you? Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will be added unto you. This is what God is teaching them in the desert. Put God first. Seek him first. Make him first. Don't make him second, third, or an afterthought. Make him first. Obedience. Chapter 16, go with me to verse 27 of chapter 16. I know I didn't pull that. If you can pull that up for me while I'm telling this. Chapter 16, verse 27, I just want to show you how their thought process worked. God gave instructions. He said, six days you go out and you pick up this, and you pick up this manna off the ground, and you can bake it, you can do what you want to with it, but on the seventh day, you don't. You get on on the sixth day, you get twice as much. It will last. No other day will it last, but that day, it will last two days. And you would think, okay, just be obedient. Here's what the Bible says. Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. He just told them. He just gave them quail, just gave them bread. You would think... They got this, this is simple. Just go out the sixth day, get twice as much and stay home on on, on your Saturday or we'd call a Sunday, a day of rest. Go to the next verse, if you will. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my... He hasn't even given the 10 commandments yet. He hasn't given them laws yet. This is just like the first thing. Let's just start off simple. Go out and get this. Don't go on this day. Got it? Got it. But some people, wandering around. And he says, how long? Next verse. How long will they do? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. He said, let me repeat this. Don't do it. It's not going to work. There's not going to be any that falls. There's none that's going to come down this day. Verse chapter 17. They get to Rehoboam or Rephidim. When they get to Rephidim, there's no water. Now, now think about this. God keeps carrying them to one place that has bitter water. Then he carries them to a desert area that has no food. Then he carries them to another place that has no water. You'd think God was smarter than this. You ever say that to yourself? God, why are you doing this to me? Anybody ever said that? Be honest. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, why is this happening? Well, I just gave you your universal answer. Why did you carry me here? And why did you carry me there? And why is it so hard now? And why has it been so difficult? And why did we have to go through this? And why do we have to struggle through this? It's because God is intending to grow you. To grow you in one area, it's called obedience. Because obedience will set the stage for everything else in your life. Let me show you. Go with me to Titus. Titus 3, 3 through 8. Here's what it says. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Let me just go ahead and say, that means you. Every one of you in this room, including me, Every single one of us at one time, you may still be doing it, but at one time, all of us were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and prayers, living in malice and envy, wishing we had something we didn't have, wanting just like the children, we all have been there, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, he saved you, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercies, he did what? He saved you. He saved me. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works or be obedient. These things are good and profitable to men. We've we've substituted with everything else. Go to church. Pay your tithes. Listen to Christian music. Anything we can substitute so we can say, hey, this is what I do. Let me explain it to you. There's only one thing God is requiring And that's obedience. That's the only thing that he's requiring. Let me give it to you by definition. In Webster's dictionary, obedience is defined as obeying or ready to obey or being submissive to another's will. The Bible describes the obedience in the New Testament specific common commands contained by the law in the New Testament. It's a higher spiritual relationship sustained, as we just shared. Listen, in the Hebrew, obedience means hopaka. It means to be attentive and to hearken. So when we talk about it in this, it means to be a master and a servant relationship. When we talk about obedience, it means master to servant relationship. Or... As we would understand it better, parent to child, parent to child. Now, let me just show you how, how. Since we struggle with obedience, let me explain to you how we struggle with obedience. Our example to learn is parent to child, right? That we don't have we don't have slavery, we don't have bondage, we don't have bond servants who, so, you know, we may owe the credit card company and feel like a bond servant, but that's about as close as it gets, right? We don't have to show up at, at Mastercard headquarters and start mowing their grass tomorrow. So what we learn from obedience, we learn from parent to child. Now let me tell you how God sees parent to child. Go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not... Want say the word? Obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when they have chastened him will not heed them. Then this father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him unto the elders of the city, of the gate of the city. Let me tell you something. Disobedience to God is the most serious of offenses. He says, let me tell you when you take care of this, it's when they're a kid. When they're a child. You don't wait till they're eighteen. You don't wait till they're 32. If you can't teach your children but one thing, one single thing in their life, you had better make sure it's obedience. They may have a smart mouth. Sometimes they may grumble, complain under their voice when they have to do it. But listen to me, even if they grumble and complain as long as they're doing it, God's good with it. You say, Brother Lot, well, let me say how Jesus told it in a story. Jesus said there was a father who had two sons. He went to the one son. He said, my field is ready to be picked. I need you to go pick it. And the son said, I'm going to do it, father. Got you covered. Don't you worry. He went to the other son and he said, my field needs to be picked. I need you to Dead coming. I am not picking that field. I'm sick and tired of picking that field and doing all this stuff. And I'm... He said, later, the son who said, I'm going to do it, stayed sitting there and did not move. But the son who was grumbling and complaining, even though he grumbled and complained, I don't want to do this, he eventually arises and goes and picks the father's field. He said, which one do you think the father has pleasure in? I don't really give a care whether you say nice things in front of me. I really don't care whether you brag on me or don't brag. I only have one thing when I'm around people or people who work with me or people who, I only got one criteria. Can you do what I've asked you to do? Can I count on you to finish what I've asked you to do? Can can I look at you and say, get this done? And they're going to get it done. Obedience will impress me faster than anything else in the world. And it does the same with the Father. I learned that from my dad and a 47-inch belt. When I heard him go through them loops, obedience became simple. It was real simple. You want to live and do it or die and not do it. But son, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You are going to obey me. I have three siblings. And because of that now, there's a lifestyle, there's a work ethic, there's a way that we live that surpasses most people. We are successful in, in our areas. It's not because we're smarter. I definitely don't fit that criteria. Not because, but here's the thing. We're obedient. From the first job I ever got, I knew nobody was going to outwork me. Why? Because if a boss told me to go get buggies, I got every buggy. I didn't get some of them and say, well, I didn't go. No, no, I was obedient. I did. If he said clean the bathrooms, I cleaned them to the, they shine. And you know what happened? God says, I can promote that. And I can promote that. And I can promote that. And so by the age of 19 to 20 years old, I'm managing 40 and making schedules for 100 people. I'm hiring and firing at 20 years old, 40 and 50-year-old people that can't show up on time and won't off every holiday. Not because I'm better, but because I learned something from the time I was Be obedient. That's why God says, if you can learn obedience, you'll eat the good of the land. If you can't be obedient, if you can't love the the mate, he uses this in every category. He says, husbands, love your wives, be obedient. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, be obedient. Do you have a job? Work as unto them, as unto the Lord, be obedient. Everything you're going to learn in your life, it's ever going to amount to anything. I don't care if you can sing good, It doesn't matter if you're Elvis Presley. You're going to die on a toilet butt naked one day because you can't be obedient. It don't matter if you can sing like Whitney Houston. You're going to die in a bathtub drowning because you can't lay off the drugs. Let me tell you what's going to keep you alive, well, healthy, and moving forward. Obedience. I know it sounds graphic and horrible. Here's the other word for it. The truth. Add that one to it for sure. He's telling you the truth. Obedience. God does not play. Go with me to 2 Samuel 22 and 45. I told you I'm not going to get very far. It's going to take me a couple of weeks. Is it okay? Here's what it says. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear... They. He tells in 2 Samuel, he says, if there's a foreigner who comes in the land and they hear my name and they hear my voice, here's what they must do. They must become obedient that day. Imagine how your house would be so much different if you said, if you walk up in this door, let me just go ahead, you're a foreigner. And when you walk in this door from this moment on, you're gonna do it the way God says to do it. Well, I ain't coming in the door. Yeah, that's why there's called a threshold. You have to decide. But you cross that threshold, and let me tell you, life's going to change. You're going to be, you won't have to worry about how we so-so and so wouldn't act this way. You cure it in a second. You cross that threshold. You start saying something. I say, look, Godly people, we don't talk like that, so don't be talking like it in here. We We don't act like that in here. We don't, let, we don't let the boyfriend bring the girlfriend and sleep in the bedroom on the back. No, no, no. We don't do that in this house. You walked in this house, all of a sudden now it's Leroy can sleep on the porch because he ain't married yet. And you know what? He ain't part of my family yet. So Leroy can sleep on the porch tonight. You sleep in your bedroom. Brother Lot. I, I, I don't know how to get around Obedience. That's what's killing Israel out in the desert. They're, they're wandering around. I can't, can't we get God to do what we want to do? And God's like, obedience. I'm not changing. I'm not moving. You've got to adjust to me. And you would think Israel would figure this out. Go ahead and give you a little bit of prelude, prelude to it. They all died in a desert, walking around. Because they never could grasp it. I can tell you preachers who will walk around for the rest of their life. I can tell you song people. I can tell you church people. I can tell you that will wander around the rest of their lives because they can't grasp obedience. Okay. So, go with me to 1 Samuel now. 1 Samuel 15 and 22. Here's what he says. Saul has done something that he wasn't supposed to do. And I'm not going to go into all the stories. Saul has done something he wasn't supposed to do. Here's what he says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Think about it. Is there anything you can do? Praise Him, sing to Him, give all. Is there anything you can do that is more powerful than obedience? Here's what Samuel tells him. Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Is there anything that he has more delight in than in obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than and to heed than the fat of rams. This is is the Bible. God wants more than anything else for you to enter in to your possessions, what He has prepared for you. God, when I was on Bank Street years, 28 years ago when I was on Bank Street, God's greatest desire is that I would be standing on this stage with all of you and having a camp and having everything that's going on and touching lives all over Mississippi. That is That was God's greatest desire. But the only person that could get me there was me. God already had me there. God already had done his part. He said, Tim, I made you. I formed you. I fashioned you. I know what I called you to be. But now to get there and not just wander around on Bank Street for the rest of your life, you're going to have to obey me. You're going to have to go borrow some money, build your first building. Oh, God, I don't, I don't have no money. What if, what if something I, you're going to have to obey me. And Through the years, I've learned that process that whether I feel good, don't feel good, whether I'm excited or not excited, whether I can sing or whether I'm hoarse, or whether I'm, there's one thing that never changes. My obedience sets the stage for what God's going to do in my life. Because if He is my champion, He is my Savior. Remember what I said. I must reach a point in my life where I fear God's wrath more than I fear the consequences of what somebody else is going to do to me. There is no great person you ever read about in the Bible. There is no great Christian you ever read about in history who is not great because of that phrase. They feared God more than they feared governments, kings, leaders, presidents, whatever they ran into. They were great because they feared the wrath of God, not doing what God told them to do more than they feared what somebody else would say and do. That's why Hebrews says it this way. It says, there are those who were killed, sawn asunder, boiled... And I love how it says it, of whom the world was not worthy. They died trying to make a better world. And the world said, we'll kill you before we let you do it. And they said, that's okay. Because heaven says, I was worth more than the dirt on this place. Obedience. Genesis 22 and 18 says it this way. If your seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He tells this to Abraham. Because you have... What made Abraham who he was? He obeyed God's voice. Isaiah 1 and 19, we just read that. That if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Go with me to Zechariah 6 and 15. I'm coming to a close. Even those from afar off shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice. He he tells them what's going to happen. And then he has to back up and say, now this will happen if you obey my voice. This is what's going to happen. Can you see it? I am God, I don't lie. But now to bring it to pass, you've got to obey my voice. How about in the New Testament? Go with me to Philippians 2 and 8. Philippians 2 and 8. And being found in appearance as a man, this is Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient. Even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That word humble there is a unique word. The word humble there, I know we walk around and, and, you know, we try to make these movies about Jesus and we, but the word humble literally means to be humiliated. While on earth, Jesus was willing to be humiliated. I mean, think about it. He never owned a house. He slept outside in caves or in a field. People said, we want to follow you. He said, birds have nests. Foxes at least have a hole. But the Son of Man, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, my humiliation is to such a degree I do not even have a place to lay my head. My Father has humiliated me to the nth degree. My father has embarrassed me, stripped me of my royalty, and told me to walk as lowly as I can possibly walk. Even when I die, I don't even have a tomb. I have to borrow one. I know people make that sound like, oh, he he, he had to borrow two because he knew he would not need one. No, he didn't buy one. Because he was humiliated all through his life. He was humbled. He had to rely on God for every single thing in his life. And God said, because you did that, it allows me now to give you a name above every name. There's not one of us in this room who can say, well, they don't know what I've been through. Jesus does. They don't know the pain we went through. Jesus does. My my aunt suffered when she died. So did Jesus. It is the understanding, according to Philippians, that it is His humbleness and being obedient to death, even the death of the cross. How about Hebrews 5 and 9? Here's what it says. And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who... Obey Him. You getting the theme? It's all in Scripture. It's the main theme of Scripture. How about Romans 1 and 5? How about we go there? Here's what it says. Through Him we have received grace. Oh, there's that word grace. And apostleship. For. Why would you get it? Why did God give you grace? And I've told you grace, by definition, is not unmerited favor. That's a horrible definition. The definition of grace is the ability to do what you cannot do within yourself. So God says, I gave you grace, the ability to do what you cannot do. Why? So that you could be obedient. That's what Paul would teach you. To faith among all nations in His name. One more scripture and I'm through. 1 Peter 1 and 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. I know sometimes I use crazy words, you know, well they're ignorant. They're you know, people are like you shouldn't use word. I'm just you know just trying to stay biblical. Or sometimes we choose ignorance. That's an ignorant thing to do. If you're in this room today, let me tell you an ignorant thing to do is to think that you are going to master your life and do what you want to do when there's two kingdoms you're going to choose. You're either going to choose the kingdom of God and you're going to be a servant loyal to Him, or you're going to choose the kingdom of darkness. And whether you want to be loyal to them or not, doesn't matter. You're going to be. That's where addictions can't control your thoughts. It'll put you in bondage. You don't have to wonder if it's just which one will fit you. One may look different to one person than another. For one person, it may be some addiction or something that we think, oh, that's horrible. They're a drug addict. To another one, they have anxiety all the time because they feel like somebody's going to get something from them or somebody's going to steal something. One's not greater than the other. They're all bondages. If you're in this room today, God has called you out to realize, number one, that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that number two, if you accept that, if you believe that, then obedience... Being obedient is the pathway for me to open doors for you that nothing else can open. Will you stand? Is it all right if I come back next week and and really take this a little other level? If you're in this room today, I'm not trying to browbeat you. I'm not trying to force you into anything make you have a guilt trip. Life is really simple. It really is. God has put you on this earth with certain talents, abilities. He's given you certain strengths, certain things. But they're not enough. They're not enough. They'll get you by, they'll get you through, they'll they'll help you hide some stuff, but they're not enough. Nobody will ever really know what goes on in your mind and your struggles and your difficulties. Nobody will ever really grasp, only you. That's why it's hard to explain to somebody what you're going through. I can't hardly explain to somebody what I go through. Through my years of battling depression, battling different things I've had to battle, God has said, we're going to carry you over here and let you deal with this. And I'm like, no, no. Yes. Because Tim, what I want to do when I carry you there is I want to reveal who I am to you. I'm the God that makes water sweet when you can't make them sweet. I'm the God that sends down food when you can't find it. When you're thirsty, I'm the God that gives you water. When you're trapped and it feels like God, the world's closing in on me and the enemy is just howling down on me. I'm the God that opens away a door that nobody else can open and I'm a God that closes doors that nobody else can close. I'm the God that takes care of the flowers and the birds. And and if you'll let me, I'll take care of you. But to prove or to show me that you have real faith, and we'll talk about that, it's only illustrated in obedience. Can I trust you with what I've given you? Do you believe in me more than your circumstance, more than the pressure, more than the foolishness? If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I get caught up in all the foolishness. I get caught up in the the bitter water. I get caught up in what's going on around me and it feels like the world. I get caught up in all of this and like the children of Israel, I take my mind off the God who saves me. Who takes care of me, who meets my needs and covers what I can't cover, who fights battles for me. You're in this room today, and this message has sparked that understanding that I need to regain that. And how do I do that, Brother Lott? It's simple. All you have to do is just confess your sin. Confess your failure. Confess your fault. So what did we just read? He's not your enemy. He's your loving father. And he says, if you'll run to me, if you'll just ask me, I'm not going to hold one good thing out from you. But you got to trust me. You got to fear me. And my wrath. More than the consequences of what this old world can throw against you. The humiliation they may give you. The laughter they may shine at you. You've got to trust me. If you're in this room right now and you say, Pastor, I need to do that. Then I invite you right now to step out from where you are. Come down to this altar. Nobody's here to bother you. I'm not going to bother you this morning unless you need me to pray for something. This is just you humbling yourself. Jesus, who is our ultimate example, humbled himself and became obedient. God says, can I expect that from you? Can I trust you with that? Can I depend on you to do Can you die to the things that you need to die to? Yes, praise is wonderful. Yes, I love those moments of victory. But I love the way the old timers used to say it. Whether God ever does anything for me ever again, whether he ever does anything good for me ever again, he's already done more than enough to be my Lord and to be my God. That's what unlocks the door. Father, this morning, thank you. As we go to Sunday school, thank you for giving us this moment to, to learn And I pray that they're getting from this what you're igniting, stirring in my spirit. And I pray that they will give the enemy fits this week. Not through just their actions, not through just those wonderful moments, but through just their straight obedience. Just obedience. Setting the stage for you to do something great. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.